Brother Frank, and welcome to another episode of the Remnant Call. And um, I'm just glad to be here. Um, it's the 19th of January. You know, things are going so fast, so chaotic, so crazy in this world. And and um, I'm down in North Carolina right now, and I'm here. Uh, I just came back a little bit ago from being my grandma. She's um, she turns 89. Um, tonight, uh, tomorrow's her birthday. Um, she's going to pass away any moment now. And, um, she knows the Lord and, uh, she's had dementia and Alzheimer's for, you know, now a few years. And so we finally got to where, you know, I dealt with it and, um, she didn't, she hasn't recognized me. And I mean, she knows me, but she doesn't. And then times dad said the other day, she did remember me. Um, but I went over tonight and with dad and we just prayed and committed her into the arms of Jesus. And, and I just wanted to share this verse as we get into the message, because I've got brother David Murray with us tonight and I'm, and I'm really happy, but I wanted to, to just share this because when I read it tonight for the first time, it hit me in a different way than it ever had before. And Job 19, um, verse 25, this was my grandfather on my my mother's side. Now, this is my grandmother on my father that's ready to pass away. But my grandfather on my mother's side, this was his favorite verse. And we were reading it tonight, Dad and I, for my grandma. And she just laid there peacefully, not not conscious, but Hopefully she heard us and it goes like this, for I know that my redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. We read that verse tonight, and it all of a sudden hit me like a ton of bricks. Joe being arguably the oldest book even written, whenever it was written, the, the time frame prior to, to, you know, there's a lot of argument. It was Joe was around before any of the Torah and things were written, potentially, it's back and forth. But he had an intimate knowledge of this resurrection that was coming that even though his body would be destroyed, yet he would be raised in another body. Now, he didn't know what the form of it was, but that he would see his father, the Lord, face to face. Not somebody else. He himself would see it. And just the thought that in his peril, Job, in his distress, had this hope and this deep knowledge that no matter what happens, no matter when he's consumed up by the worms, by whatever takes place, that he will see God face to face one day. It doesn't matter what happens in this earth to his body because he's going to get a new one. And he has that hope to carry him through. 
And as we committed my grandma, we just prayed, me and dad together. And we just put her into the arms of Jesus. And we thank God for his promises and gifts of salvation. And she looks so beautiful laying there. I didn't think she was going to look so beautiful, but she did. Such peace. And I share that with you tonight because I want you to know that this world is about this beautiful point in time we've been given an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody so that they don't have to go into an eternity without the Lord. And I, now, as my grandma will be passing on any moment, I know it's not goodbye. I know it's not gone forever. I know it's simply, I shall see you later. And I look forward to the rejoicing in the kingdom that I will be doing with her very soon, one day. And I want to encourage you, life is short, but the awe-inspiring word of God is eternal and has the power to save anyone and everyone. And my grandma was a warrior who prayed unrelenting. And God knows, and she now rests in peace in her heavenly Father's arms. With that, I'm going to bring on tonight not only just a friend, but a brother in Jesus, Brother David Murray, to share a message that he's had put on his heart, not what he intended to share, but what the Lord shared through him. And he's going to be sharing with us tonight. And so with that, I'm going to bring David. Are you there with me? Good evening, Frank. I'm here. Hey, brother. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's an honor to be here, Frank. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, Frank, as you were... uh just speaking to uh, our audience, our brothers and sisters, and I'm, you know, you know, silently here, and um, you know, I was telling you this off the air, but I, I just, I just, uh, you know, the Bible says to honor one another, and there's just so much. It's not the purpose of the teaching tonight. It's not what we're talking about, but there is so much about honor that we, as brothers and sisters, just have not been taught that our forefathers haven't taught, and it's just so biblical to honor one another because there's such life in it. There's power in it. The kingdom is released in it. And so to our um, brothers and sisters that come in and join and are blessed by Remnant, Remnant Call, I just want to say, you know, my brother Frank has just such a heart after father. And I was telling him this, you know, off the air earlier on that uh, whenever I am honored to connect with with Frank, I am just so blessed by his heart because when I hear Frank speak, I hear my father's heart. I hear his love. And so Frank, I, you know, I know I've said this, but you know, I just want to honor you and uh, me and my, my house, we are praying for you and for your family during this time of transition and praise God for the eternal hope and confident expectation and glory, but uh, the loss is real. And so 
Our hearts are joined with yours, Frank. It's just an honor to be here. Hey, thanks and praise. Thank you, Father, for the just the honor of knowing David and the and all the people on the remnant call, folks. There's so much tragedy and so much hurt in the world. And um I saw such beauty tonight, it just it's hard to explain. Um and I know that beauty comes from a woman who had such a hard life, and yet her love for her Heavenly Father was so big that you couldn't know her without knowing that. It was impossible. You couldn't have a relationship with my grandma without knowing who she served. And that uh, was a beautiful thing. Brother, thank you for your just your friendship. And so I'm going to just pray for a moment here, folks, because... What David's going to share tonight, I think, is you're going to find um, it's something that so many people are facing. You might find out you're facing it and you didn't even know it. And uh, I want you to tune into this radio program because it's going to be so important tonight. And I'm going to just pray for you, David, because I know this is uh, not going to be easy. But um, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. There is a name that is above every name. The name Yeshua, Jesus, the only name by which man can be saved. And Father, thank you for the for the power of the name of your son, Jesus. And Father, that you would even allow this to take place, a sacrifice for a people so undeserving, so uh, unthankful. And yet at the moment when Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, forgive us for when we've known what we've done. We repent, Lord. And I ask tonight that in the name of Jesus, that you would just bless David with a word to flow freely through him, that he would simply be a vessel, Lord, and it was reflection would be of you and not himself tonight. And Lord, that there's no fear, but only peace as he brings forward this message, no matter what it may be, if it comes from your heart, it needs to be delivered. And Lord, may we receive uh, your words through brother David. I thank you in Jesus precious name. Amen. Amen. Frank, thank you, brother. I'm going to turn this over to you and um, just, share what's on your heart thank you again thank you for just just brothers and sisters those tuning in uh, it is it's just it truly is it's an honor to um for us to be able to encourage one another to teach one another for for us to uh mutually encourage and instruct and for all the different gifts and and calls that that father has placed with us through through the holy spirit um it's just such an honor. So it's funny because uh, Frank, you know, touched on this very briefly. I did not want to uh, speak on this message tonight. And what we're going to be speaking on is becoming a giant slayer. And is it exciting? Y yes, absolutely. Is is it one of my passions? Yes. I This is a topic which actually is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I love this topic, but uh, I wanted to talk on other things. I really didn't want to talk on this. Um, and 
what father impressed upon my heart as I was, as I was preparing and going before him of what, what did the hearers, what did he want me to bring forth for, for everyone else's edification? Um, one of the things that he, he spoke to me is he said that there, my, my, my children are living with giants in their fields. And they don't know it. And so tonight we are going to, uh, by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, with the spirit of joy, um, we are going to hopefully uncover, understand what is it? How do we become a giant slayer? And what does this have to do with our walk? What does it have to do with our relationship with God and moving in victory and in greater intimacy with him and love? And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, so what is this all about, becoming a giant slayer? Well, we're going to touch on four things. Number one, what is a giant? Uh, the second is where do giants come from and how do we recognize one? Uh, three, how do we bring down a giant? How do we cut off a giant's head? And number four, what's the purpose? Right? Uh, what's the outcome? What, is, what does this do for our walk with God and ourselves, our loved ones? What's it all about? So we're going we're gonna to jump right into this. We're going to get going. Uh, what is a giant? Uh, for us to answer that question and, and within the context of the word of God, within the context that God is spirit, we are spirit beings. We have a soul, right? Our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions, our belief system, right? That's our soul. We're spirit beings. We possess a soul and we dwell in this physical temple. And one day, the fullness of our redemption, we will have a spiritual temple. Um, so to understand what a giant is within the context of God's word and his kingdom, uh, it starts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Joshua 1.5. So Joshua is getting ready to, to begin fulfilling the promise that Jesus gave to them 40 years prior. They're getting ready to finally take their land to conquer uh, and to to carve out a nation that would prepare for the full redemption, prepare for Jesus's coming to the earth to redeem all of his creation once and for all. And so Jesus is standing there. He's meeting with Joshua and preparing him and giving him instructions. And he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what Jesus told Joshua. Let's go to about 400 years past that, to 1 Samuel 17. Now, this is the context here is Goliath, the Philistine champion, is coming out against the nation of Israel 400 years later. When the scriptures say, 1 Samuel, now when the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So we have two opposing statements, two opposing contexts. Jesus speaks the truth to Joshua. No one will be able to stand against you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Then you have a, a statement that reveals the fear and dread and terror in man's hearts when they saw Goliath. So we're going to define a giant as anything contending with God's truth. A spiritual giant may be defined 
as anything that attempts to place themselves between you and the love of your heavenly father and between you and the fullness of the invitation to have deep intimacy with him. That's a giant. In John 10, 10, Jesus says the thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it in abundance. See, the ultimate purpose of a spiritual giant's brothers and sisters is twofold. One, it's to place us in bondage. The second, it's to keep us in bondage. That's the purpose of a spiritual giant. So <clears throat> I want to go back real quick on one part to where Jesus said something. When he said, I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That word, as I was with, that Hebrew word means in same fashion, in the same form. So he's telling Joshua, in the same form and way in which I communed with Moses and demonstrated my power and might and honored him and spoke with him face to face and was faithful to him. The same way that I walked with Moses, Joshua, I'm going to walk with you and I will never leave you or forsake you. So the reason why I'm, 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 I'm getting into that right now is for us to just tuck that away in our heart right now. And just, we're going to come back to that. So that's what a giant is. So the second part, right? How do we recognize one and where do they come from? Well, how do we recognize one? Very simple. A giant will be identified based upon our soul's response to a situation or event. I'll say that again. We will identify a giant in our land, a giant within the soul of our heart, within our, the, the land of our heart, based upon our soul's response to the situation or event we're placed in. Remember, the purpose of a spiritual giant is to hinder. It's to cause us, us to feel a sense of fear. It's to shake us out of rest. It's to remove us from a sense of knowing we belong to Abba Father. It's to disjoint us from knowing that Jesus is with us the same way he was with Moses. That's the purpose of a giant. So whenever we are in a situation or an event and our soul is responding from a place outside of rest or fear where something tears at our relationship with God, there's a giant in our midst. Now, part B of this, where do giants come from? Now, before I get into this, because uh, we're going to have, this is a little bit fun. This is where it really gets, starts to get a little fun. Uh, before we get into it, I, I cannot stress enough, everything that, goes, that, that we go through in life passes by Father's throne. There is nothing that takes place in our life that in one way, shape, or form has not passed by Father's throne. That's vital to understand that He is God and none other. There is one God, one true God. He is above all that are thought to be gods. He is above all vain imaginations, images of man, and every deception. He is truth. He alone is God. And there's only one true throne. 
So in, 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 within context, within context, it really doesn't matter where they come from. Now, as we continue to grow in our walk, we continue to grow in authority as, as our intimacy with the Lord grows, as we become a greater threat to Satan's kingdom, Satan will try to place giants in our land, right? He, he will do that, right? We know that he, he's, he's devouring like a roaring lion. He's seeking to devour, right? We know that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, and this is where I just, I'm going to be honest, and I say this in love. We like to ascribe a lot of things to Satan that don't come from Satan. He's, he's, just, he's just not that big. He's really not that big. And if we think we're being attacked by Satan, um, first we have, to, we have to assess what what kind of what 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 threat level am I? What level of threat do I pose to to Satan's kingdom? As a child of God who's more than a conqueror, who's equipped with the Holy Spirit, who has God inside of us, who's been declared the righteousness of Christ, has the ability to move in the giftings and the power of the Holy Spirit, tear down the kingdom of Satan, to preach the gospel with signs following, to lay hands on on the sick. Uh, Okay, with all of this, how much of a threat do I actually pose? Do I I pose to the enemy? Am I evangelizing? Am I I witnessing to people on the street corner? Do Do I go to gas stations? Am I interacting? Am I being the light such as I have? Am I giving? Like, like really for us to look at, okay, well, Satan's attacking, attack. Well, if we're really not doing much for the kingdom as an outflow of the love and power inside of us that comes through a deep, rich, thriving relationship with him, like if, 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 if we're not in that position in our walk, then the chances are very good that it's not Satan sending a giant because that means we've already got giants in our land. If we are not moving in a thriving relationship and intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's the first sign there are many giants already in the land of our soul, embedded in our belief system that we are slaves to. And tonight we're going to begin exposing them because Father is raising up. He's setting the stage in this epic and this time to begin preparing for a new stage of deliverance for the body of Christ. And he keeps attempting this season after season after season. And we've entered into another season of this where we begin to open our eyes and look and assess what giants are in the land that have me in bondage so that we can begin getting set free of them. So getting back to uh, giants in the land, well, if they're not coming from Satan because they're, he's already sent them and we're already in bondage to them, then where are they coming from? Well, many times God himself places the giants in our land, in our midst. Now, the scriptures say First Timothy 2, Deuteronomy 9, you know, Matthew, uh, Colossians, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So let's get into the word and talk about this. And in, in Exodus 13, and this is this is a lot of fun, guys. Exodus 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. 
Okay. Why is that so important? Because God knew they weren't ready to face those giants. He knew it. They're not ready yet. So what did he do? Even though it was approximately a 30-day journey from Egypt to the base of Canaan land, they camped at Mount Sinai for between 10 and 11 months. So a 30-day journey to get to their promised land, the Lord says, they're not ready. So we're going to camp here where they saw my, my power in Egypt in here, in this one year where we're camped at Sinai, they're going to get to know me. They're going to get to know who I am, the God behind this power. That was the purpose of them camping at Sinai. 30-day road trip was going to take them uh, 30, only 30 days to get there, but they were going to first wait about 11 months to get to know their God because they weren't ready to face those giants. Well, what were they ready to face? So let's go a couple of chapters to Exodus 16. 16.4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now here again, something super important is that this is during that resting period, the 11 months where they're camped at Sinai. God says, okay, here is a giant I'm going to put in the land. They're like, well, David, what do you, what, what giant? What are you talking about? Well, we can look at it. Well, <clears throat> they only had enough food to eat for one day, right? We, we know the story. If they collected food for more than one day, it would rot. It'd be filled with maggots. On the day before the Sabbath, they collected two days and the bread lasted two days sovereignly by God so that they would rest on the Sabbath. And each day they had to trust that bread would rain down from heaven and they would have enough food only for that day. And they would learn daily to rest in his provision. What was the giant they were coming face to face with? It's the fear of abandonment. Will my father leave me? Will Yahweh, will my creator, will, will God, my God, leave me or forsake me? See, what, what, what Father God does, brothers and sisters, is he will sovereignly and safely bring us to places where the giants are in the land. Remember, <laughs> the Anakim were living in Canaan. They didn't get together and be like, you know what? Let's go see what those Jews are doing down in Egypt. Let's go on a little, let's go on a hunting party, a little war party. Let's go down there and let's I'll beat up on some Egyptians. Here the Jew slaves are down there. They were minding their own business. God brought his children into the land of the giants. So for us to say, well, well God won't do that. Yes, he does. He absolutely does. And he will continue to do it. So the question to ask is, well, well, David, why would he do, why, why would he do that? Why would he have me deal with giants? Well, Job, you know, brother Frank was talking about Job earlier on. So Job 7.17 says, this is Job speaking, but he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth 
as gold. Deuteronomy 8.16 gives further insight into what Jesus was talking to Moses about earlier on. Deuteronomy 8.16 says, In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. And that's key to understand. We have to, when, when we're reading, brothers and sisters, when we're reading the word, it is so vital that before when we read, we're deliberate and ask Holy Spirit, let me see you for who you are. Change my lens where it needs to change, right? His love and his goodness is embedded all throughout what I call the the Bible a love letter. And it is. But from Genesis to Revelation, it is filled with the divine nature of love. He tested them so that in the end, it would do good for them. It would go well for them. He had plans to bless and prosper them. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. See, God's children camped at Sinai for 11 months in order to hear and know God and then do it. And then act upon it. And then go conquer those giants that faced themselves before them and set themselves, attempted to set themselves between their promised land and God. And Jesus' promise to Joshua, in the original Hebrew, right, says no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. The Hebrew wording literally means no one will be able to place themselves in a stationary position in order to stop you. So when there's something before us, we are called and equipped and mandated to steamroll over it in the name of Jesus. And the Israelites were called and equipped to do that, to hear the word of God, to hear his nature, to see him shrouded in clouds of thick darkness and holiness and peals of thunder and lightning, and to allow that to then do, to act upon what they saw and be doers of his divine nature. Abba Father, brothers and sisters, absolutely sovereignly has been and will continue to place us on journeys that bring us face to face with situations and events that will test the very fiber of our belief system. And here's an awesome, awesome, awesome thought. If we are facing something that is a giant, that means we're ready for it. Because we just read that Father will not do something we're not ready to handle with him. He has plans to bless us, not to harm us. His plans are to set us free. See, the one thing that giants do, right, is giants force us to look in the mirror. 
they force us to decide. They force us to make a choice. Do I know what Father says about himself, about me and others? Do I have his word dwelling richly, richly and powerfully inside of my soul? And then do I act on that word, on that belief? So where are we at? We understand giants, right? Is there anything that contends with God's truth? How do we recognize one? It's our soul's response. If we see something or an event that causes anything that robs us of, of God's love, peace, security, rest, if we kicks up fear, that's a giant. That's a, that's a giant in our midst. And Father God himself, many, many times, is the one placing us face-to-face with those giants. We really don't need, unless we're doing mighty works for Christ, unless we're already well on our journey and we're, 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 we're looking a lot like Jesus, Satan doesn't need to send anybody our way. We're not a threat, number one, because we're already shackled up. We're already slaves to giants. And one of the things that the body of Christ is failing to recognize in this generation is that we're already slaves to fear. We've already allowed ourselves to be shackled, which we're not supposed to be shackled to. We're only supposed to be yoked to Christ. And Jesus said his, his yoke is good. It's filled with love and rest and peace and long suffering and mercy and joy and fullness. That's what it means to be yoked with Christ. So if, if, if that's not the yoke we're feeling, we're yoked to giants, shackles around us. It's not me, that's word of God. Uh, <clears throat> I call heaven and earth to witness against you today to place before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life that you and your children will live. And love God, your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. See, when we read this scripture and what Josh's address to, to, to Israel, an error that is repeatedly taught is that this is about works and rules. How do you take down a giant? Remember, why do they exist? And for us to remember and understand and learn, how do I take down, how do I cut the head off of the giants in my land? How do I break free of the bondage and the captivity of a giant that I have in my, in my soul? We have to go back to the beginning. And the beginning here is the garden. Everything from the garden to Malachi pointed to what I like to call as the great reconciliation. Everything from Adam until the last thing that Malachi penned pointed to your God is going to redeem you. He's going to impart to you righteousness, union once again with our creator and our Lord. See, we forget, many of us, the Old Testament didn't start with the law. It ended with the law. It was the last of the other six dispensations before, before the, the, the new covenant. It was the last, it was the weakest, and it was never meant to come into existence. I didn't say that. The scriptures say that. The law was given to remind man of something that they knew from Adam up until Moses. Those a couple of thousand years, and most of those guys, they all knew each other because the lifespan was so long. 
Abraham's grandfather knew the relatives of Noah. And all of these men, from Adam up until Moses, they knew they couldn't earn salvation. They knew that their forefather, Adam, messed things up, and they lived trusting that God is their redeemer. The law was added because fallen man began to forget that. The scriptures say that. The 613 Mosaic laws that were given to those children were to remind them, once again, you cannot earn reconciliation to me. You cannot earn intimacy. You cannot earn back what Adam once had. Adam had no law. He was righteous and holy and in perfect union. He was a spirit being that openly saw the natural realm and the spirit realm. The same time, perfect harmony, perfect union. That's what we've been restored back to. That's the invitation of what we have. Positionally, that's the way we're seen. Relationally, it's our job to begin cutting down those giants in our land that prevent us from walking in deep intimacy with Father, with Son, with Holy Spirit. See, two things entered into man at rebellion. One is we lost the divine nature and union with God. That, what's, what's that fancy word? What does that mean? Sin entered into us. We lost the divine nature. We lost union. The openness of the spirit realm was severed. The second is that we lost our true belief system. What was the true belief system? When Adam was created, God went from being pleased to well-pleased. What did Adam do? Nothing. Nothing. Adam was well pleased in his creator's eyes. And we say, well, that doesn't really say love. And, you know, that doesn't, you know, he's well pleased. I get it. So I'll, I'll sh I, I don't share too, too much, but, but I, this is a wonderful one. Uh, you know, I was struggling years ago as a young man uh, and I was first getting into on peeling back the the false belief system and the false identity that 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 entered into the world with Adam's sin, and that false identity is that our our self worth and our value is earned. Okay, it's earned. Now, for those of you that, that know me and have visited my you know my, my blog, right, everything about it into the scriptures, learning your self worth, learning a true going back to God's belief system for us that we are loved righteous, holy, blameless, deeply, deeply loved, just as Adam was. Jesus has made us complete in him. And the scriptures are loaded with them. You go to the website or just do a study on righteousness. It's the scriptures. It's not anything I'm saying. It's in the word of God. That's what Jesus did. That's why we can, that's why we can stand in his presence when we go from this realm into the next realm and not be burned up or consumed with fire because we've been declared holy. We've been made in the same image as Jesus. So the two things that were lost in the rebellion was union and the divine nature. And the second is we lost our, our true belief system. Jesus told Adam, fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue means to put something down. Because Jesus knew that Satan would be coming to Adam 
and tempting him with a new alternative blueprint, a different belief system, one that says you can be like God of your own strength, of your own choosing apart from God. That's the false belief system. And it's been in the world ever since. And it is only removed, that veil, that lie is only removed in Christ as we get into the word and know what our true identity is. No matter what topic we talk about, it always will go back to understanding who we are as sons and daughters of the living God, understanding what Jesus really gave us. To the degree that we don't, any study of the kingdom, any spiritual topic we can talk about will be skewed and hindered if, we, if we're seeing it through a false lens, a false belief system. So taking down giants, it's pretty simple. Uh, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's easy, but it is very, very simple. We take them down by going back to the ancient paths of identity. Why do I say ancient paths? Right? God says, go back, go consider the ancient paths. Right, Go back to the beginning. The very beginning is Adam's belief system that he was well-pleased. And so going back when I was on that journey, you know, saying, God, you know, you know, I just need a revelation of your love. If this is real, if I'm, if I'm seeing this, understanding this right, and you just need to speak to me. So, you know, that night, uh, Jesus, he, he met with me and he put his hand on my shoulder he put his head on my shoulder and he, and he said, you know, David, your whole life, your whole life you've been thinking that I'm not content with you. He said, but I am, and I am well pleased with you. I am well pleased with you. And if you were to die right now, I would be well pleased with you. And you know, it's funny because I, I came out of that encounter and I thought, man, God, can you just tell me you love me? You have to use the word well-pleased. And then I heard I heard the Lord audibly. It's one of the, I just needed it. He knew I needed it. And I heard his voice audibly. And he said, isn't that how I described how I saw my son? Didn't I say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. And after that, I never looked back. Never look back. And I said, let's do this. Let's get it. Let's, let's, let's kill these false identities and these false beliefs. And so how do we do it? Now I'm going to ask some questions, guys. Uh, as I ask these questions, many of us are going to get a revelation. We're going to, I'm, I'm going to pray. Frank, is it okay if I just pray real quick and just bathe these airways? Anything you want to do, brother, please. Absolutely All pray. Right. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your revelation, for just illuminating the areas of our soul that have been held into bondage of lies. I thank you that the giants within our hearts, in our land, begin to get exposed now, that we will drive them out through and in union and by the power of Jesus Christ and the, the written word and the written word spoken, applied to every one of our hearts. I thank you for that revelation right now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, so here's some questions I'm going to ask for us to quietly consider. Am I unconditionally loved by God? Am I his, am, am I his beloved? Does my Heavenly Father see me as pure, spotless, righteous, and holy? Does my Abba adore me? Am I the apple of his eye? Does he fiercely and jealously love and guide and fight for me and watch over me? Do I feel an overwhelming sense of his love around me, within me, emanating from within me, through me? Is there any shame or condemnation I'm carrying around? Do I have a fear of failure? Do I have a fear of being abandoned by God? Do I have a fear of being abandoned by others? Do I have other fears that, that haunt me and nag at me? Do I fear for my future? Do I fear man in any way? Do I have anger, bitterness, unforgiveness swirling around me or buried deep down within me that I keep a lid on? Brothers and sisters, I could go on, but we'll stop there. That's enough. And with the benefit of recordings, we can slow down and listen to us again and again and ask the Holy Spirit, give him permission. Jesus is standing at the door of the church and knocking. Every one of these questions represents a giant living in the land of our soul. Every one of these are giants. They're, they're lies. They're entities that are between us and the love of God. John 12, 42 says, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. He's referring to Jesus' earth ministry, right? The Pharisees. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. That's false identity. That came from the fall of Adam. Sin and false identity. That, that leads us, that false identity, identity is that our worth comes from our works, our performance, what other people think of us. That giant is called the fear of man. And for a lot of us, a lot of us, especially men, we say, I'm not afraid of any man. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Many of us are in bondage to a giant called the fear of man. There's a lot of women bound to the fear of shame. Can't even look at it. Can't even begin to discuss it and, and, and give it to Jesus the cross. So, application. So, what do we do with all this now? Well... Ephesians 6.12, we'll start there. It's as good a place as any. That's a fantastic place. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'm going to stop to encourage us for something. A lot of these verses, we know them, we learned them day one from when we received Christ. But what's amazing and beautiful is that every time we read them with a fresh lens, 
we can get something new out of it every time. So here we're taking one, like one of what I think, at least in my circles, the most famous verses, right? Ephesians 6, 12. Uh, you know, everyone knows this verse. It goes on then after this, you know, verses 13, 14, 15, goes on to talk about putting on the armor, right? But here's the funny thing, brothers and sisters. Ephesians doesn't tell us how to do it. We have to stop thinking about that. Us saying, quoting, we teach our kids, oh, put on the armor of God, breastplate of salvation, and we teach them to put it on. We pretend we're putting on the gospel of peace. It means nothing. Just, just, just to show. Ephesians doesn't tell us how to put on the armor. The how is found elsewhere. The how is found in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Putting on the armor of God, as we are commanded to do in Ephesians 6, we are taught how to do it in 2 Corinthians 10.5. And I'm going to read this verse uh, one more time, and I'm going to I'm going to explain in more detail what this verse is saying. We demolish arguments. Now that Greek word "argument" means thinking or reasoning. It's your belief system. That's the Greek word for it. We demolish thinking and reasoning, and every pretension. That word "pretension" means barrier. In the Greek, it's a barrier. It's a blockade. So we demolish every thinking and belief and every barrier that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That word knowledge means divine truth. So we demolish, we tear down, we destroy all thinking, beliefs, and reasoning, and every barrier that sets itself up against the divine truth of God. And we take captive. That word captive is the same word, the same word in Greek and in Hebrew that Jesus commanded Adam in the garden in Genesis, fill the earth and subdue it. It's the same transliterated word. We subdue, we ensnare every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's how we take down our giants. We look at what they represent, what area of our beliefs, what are they shaking about? How dare you? How dare you stand between me and my creator, my father, my redeemer, my great counselor? And we begin to take down that giant and cut off its head by demolishing and tearing down every barrier and every belief system and every thought that dares to speak out against the divine truth of our God. And we pull it down and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. And that's how we wipe our land and the soul of our heart from our giants. We go back to verse three and four of two Corinthians. For though we live in the world, we don't wage world. We don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not with weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed. That word conform means to be placed in the same likeness. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, his good, acceptable, and perfect will. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, right? What is the old self? It's, it's the demonic belief system. With the fall of man, we lost the divine nature and we lost divine truth. We swapped holiness for sin nature. We swapped his unconditional love for fear of man and that our worth is earned. And we're commanded to put off that former way, our old self. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice here, they're talking about righteousness and holiness is about the attitude of our minds, not about our works. Works are a byproduct of a man and woman walking in union with Christ, in truth. The works will naturally come. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're whitewashed tombed. Outwardly, your works look great. Your souls are filled with dead men's bones. Again, not my words. This is Jesus. So, I'm going to say with me. Um, okay. Titus 3.5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. These are all the weapons of our warfare, brothers and sisters. This is how we pull down giants. This is how we rid our land, our walk, from everything that dares to set itself up against our truth of who we are as children of God. What's important for us to understand, church, is that what did the Holy Spirit renew? Right, Titus 3, 5, we just read, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. What did he renew? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He's declared us righteous. He's renewed us into the nature of Jesus Christ. Here's what's vital to understand. The soul was not renewed. Our soul was not born again. That's why all these scriptures and the whole, oh, the new covenant is filled with the instruction of the mind. The church has gotten it for, for the past 500 years since the Reformation. We got salvation, but we, 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 but we lost the ancient paths. The oldest ancient path is our divine nature, which we've been restored. We're now the righteousness of God. And second is the divine truth that we are well-pleasing in his eyes. That can't be earned. That's how he positionally sees us. Now, relationally is a different story, and, I, and it's outside the scope of this. I'm not talking about how we relate to God. It, it, that's that's how whether we choose to sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit, you know, that that's not about that. We're talking about ridding the giants in the land, and we do that by pulling down the lies. 
So what's the outcome? Uh, what's the what, what what happens to all of this? You know, this sounds like a lot of work. It's it, it's work. Yeah, renewing your mind is work. Is it's work depending upon the different giants in the land that we grew up with, the different fears, the different bondages, the different false identities. Um, it, it's going to be work to change our thinking, to dare to step out and get to know what God says and then to walk in it. And one thing I would say, I, if at all possible, like big note, neon light here, get around giant slayers. Just get around them. Spirit rubs off on spirit. Get around people that have experience clearing their land. Get around a brother or sister that know how to take down giants. They know the process, they understand it, and they can come up alongside of you and mentor or even just support and pray with you. And it's not hard, but it, it's it's not for the faint of heart. It's much easier just to keep the giants in our land and be slaves to them. Just like just like God's children, the Israelites, right? What'd they do? They're, the first time they're tested, they began to call Egypt the land of milk and honey. I make that up, it's in the word. They began to accuse Moses. You took us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness. Is that insane? Look it up. It's pretty cool to watch that. It's like, wow, how did, you know, it is insanity. It's much easier. It's much easier to stay in bondage. It's no work. We, the body of Christ says we are tired of being afraid. We're tired, afraid of this and afraid of this and the judgments and, the, you know, the Antichrist and, you know, World War III and all Right, we we're afraid, but we by and large, this generation is not really willing to do much about it. It takes work. Everything is hard. Everything has a cost. We just have to choose which cost we're going to pay. Nothing's free. There is a cost for living with giants in the land, and there's a cost for kicking them out of the land. But the outcome, <laughs> if we face our giants, two things are going to happen. Number one, the depth of our relational union with God will increase tremendously. I mean, it will change the very fiber of our being. We will begin to conform to the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And if we wonder, what's that like? What would that be like? Go take a look at, at some of the heroes of faith that did it. Look at the life of Moses. Look at the kind of relationship he had with God. Look at David, who certainly was flawed, but he knew Father's heart of love. He understand that man understood love. He also understood how to take down giants. So the depth of our union, our relationship will will increase. It will it will. <laughs> It will completely change us on every level, like quantum physics type of stuff. And the second is our spiritual authority will increase. And real quick, that's its own study, right? This whole teaching, like we could have branched off into 10 different teachings. We could teach on this stuff for a week. Uh, but spiritual authority, spiritual authority, right? Authority is the right, the, the, um, the scepter that is given to us that allows us to govern the kingdom of God. Power is movement. Power expands the kingdom, right? The difference between uh, exousius and dun dunamis, right? Authority and power. Power is a gift, 
right? The, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are power gifts. They have nothing to do with our nature. And they are, they're designed to expand the kingdom. If there's a gift of miracle taking place, someone's miraculously healed, no one's in faith, no one's trusting God, boom, the Holy Spirit shows up, does something sovereignly. He, he drove back darkness. The kingdom is expanded. Authority is the right, the seat of judgment that allows us to govern his kingdom. And the more that our intimacy increases, the, the farther out our expanse of ability to govern the kingdom of God on his behalf, that increases. So what does that look like? One way it looks like your favor with man will increase. Your ability to godly influence without compromise and, and effect change for the kingdom and to win souls and to be allocated and given resources for the kingdom, spiritually, monetarily, relationally, that expands and increases. So our ability to govern the kingdom on the behalf of our commander-in-chief increases. And, and, and man, if those two things don't get us riled up, make us wholly jealous for, for more, get us fired up to start, oh, yeah, I'll do the work. I'll cut down these, these, these demons. I'll cut down these false beliefs. Yeah, I want that. I know I do. Personally, I do. Mark eleven twenty three. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not contend in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. That word doubt doesn't mean to, you know, oh, I'm in my spirit. So that word doubt there means to contend. It literally means to pull in two opposite directions at the same time, right? Much different than, than our English word doubt. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this helps qualify all this, right? Because everything has to be taken in context. So we just read, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, right? You'll ask what you wish because we know what Father's will is in the kingdom. Right? When we say, well, Lord, if it's your will, well, there's place for that. Because even though we've been given the mind of Christ, even though we have the capacity to, to partner and know God's heart and mind because the, 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 the prophecies said we'd be given that. Lord says, I will write my law, my nature, right? Jesus says the summed up the law is love, right? Law is love. I will write my love in your hearts and they will know my ways. We have that ability right now in this new covenant. And in 1 John 5, 14, it says, this is the confidence we have approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So if we don't know his will, if we don't know his divine truth, if the things that Adam forfeited in the garden, if we have not gone back to the ancient paths and got into his word and understand what the kingdom of heaven is about, what are our rights as citizens, as heirs to the throne, then we can't pray according to his will. We're not meant to, well, I don't know. So Lord, if it's your will, uh, that's not the way it's meant to be. 
That's a mis a, a, improper theology and teaching. We're meant to know his will and then pray his will. That's why when Jesus taught us the Our Father, he said explicitly, Lord, as your will on earth be done as it is in heaven. And that's why Jesus said, and it records it again and again, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. Jesus did on earth what Father's will was in heaven. Not meant to be mystery. And we'll finish up with this, guys. In Mark 4, 17, it says, But since they have no root, they last only a short time. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, they fall away quickly. This is going back to Jesus and the parable of, of the seeds, right? Uh, we have to dig in. Giants will bring us to a crossroad. They will force us to make a decision. Now that word that we, we you know, in, in Mark 4, 17, that Jesus said, you know, that word tribulation, it's a Greek word, lipsis, uh, Strong's 2347, it means to apply pressure, that which constricts or rubs together. So let's reread that. But since they have no root in the word, it's referencing, they last only a short time for when pressure and a constriction that rubs together against them or persecution, which is an accurate translation and suffering for comes because of the word, they fall away. So what's the crossroads? We said a giant will cause us to come face to face with what we are believing. And do we say, yes, I'm going to be, I, I will remain a slave to this giant. Or will we allow ourselves to go through the pressure, the constriction, the being squeezed to say, no, I am taking this thought captive and I am pulling down this barrier and I am pulling down this thinking and this reasoning that opposes what God says about me, what God says about him, what God says about others. Romans 5, 3. We also glory or glorify in our sufferings. That same root word, sufferings, because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, here's the cool thing, guys. Romans 5, 3 says, we glory in our sufferings. It's the same Greek word, which means a pressure. What's he saying? When God applies, applies pressure and constricts us and puts situations in our life that cause a constriction and a rubbing, rejoice in that because that's going to produce the divine nature. It's going to produce character and perseverance. And that word that ends in hope, and I love this. I know most of us know this, but it's worth repeating. It's the Greek word elpsis, and it means to anticipate, to be firmly confident and expecting something with absolute certainty. It's not the English word, well, I hope, which really means I wish. Well, I wish I'd get this. I hope I get it. No, in the Greek, that word hope is a confident expectation with no doubt. That's what happens when we go through this process and we tear down these giants. Last thought, brothers and sisters, Romans 8, 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reality, the divine truth is that nothing is allowed. Nothing can separate us from God's love. It's only what we allow. The reality is nothing can separate us. It's what we allow. And that allowing means giants in our land. So, Amen. Bringing, bringing it all home. Thanks, Frank. I told you this was going to be a tough one. <laughs> Did pretty well. A giant is anything that contends with God's truth. Demonic witchcraft, as we continue to increase in the kingdom and we continue to be real true warriors. Yeah, we'll get we'll get hit with some stuff, which we also have authority over. Big deal. Not our first rodeo, right? Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, but more often than not. Uh, they're coming from Father God to set us free, to bring us face to face. And if we face a giant, that means that we're ready. We're ready and able and equipped because we have God with us and in us. And we have his word and we have all authority over anything demonic. But most of what we talked about here, <laughs> these aren't demons. These are false beliefs. Their fears, their pains, their hurts, their lies, their shame. It's the lies. It's the satanic worldview that we adopted, inherited by default through Adam's sin. How do we bring them down? It's, it's just the battlefield of the mind. We've got to walk out our identity. And above all, brothers and sisters, above all, it's love. The more that we press in and 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 choose, to, Lord, I, I accept, I receive by faith, I am loved by you. Give me the give me the grace, give me a deposit, give me a gifting of a measure of love that I will love others. And the outcome is going to be an incredible increase in intimacy and spiritual authority. I mean, really, no eye or mind can conceive what's ours that's in Christ as we start walking out. I, I barely even begin to describe it. So, Brother Frank, thank you. Um, thank you, as always, for the honor of allowing me to come on and, and share some things on Father's heart and the honor of being able to minister to uh, to our audience out there, our brothers and sisters. Amen. Uh, and I just want to, you know, really highlight something from the back of the beginning of the program, and um, you know, about taking down giants. And, um, you know, from the beginning, he mentioned, you know, King David, he cut the head off Goliath. And really the first step, folks, when beginning the desire to, after recognizing the giant, is you've got to cut it off its head. That doesn't mean you have the strength in your own, but it's okay because that's where our Heavenly Father comes into play. He has the strength that we don't. But when you understand the head of the giant, okay, that's where the giant speaks into your life, okay, wherever it may be, whether it's a, it's some kind of addiction, whether it's through technology, whether it's a, you know, maybe some food, maybe it's a, 
um, news. Maybe you're addicted, you know, with the current events of everything. It's, you know, wh whatever that is, however that giant is speaking into your life, we have to cut off its head where it speaks from. And that understanding that will help you and bring precisely on God to take your father to give you the strength and the authority and to understand the authority that the power comes from him, but he's given it to you to pray in his name, you know, and when you can understand that and that the power comes, it's not your strength, but he gives it to you to use it. Then you can begin to slay these giants, but you've got to cut it off at the head. Absolutely. And the head is just whatever that giant is, wherever it's speaking into your life, that has to be cut off. Maybe it's a friend that's just negative. You know, it's sometimes you have to separate folks. It's okay. You, you Sometimes we have to separate away from people that are bringing us down and killing us in this world spiritually. I, I, there's nothing I, I wholeheartedly believe. I always tell people, if you're trying to get off crack, don't hang out at the crack house. Okay. Go somewhere else. Find something else. Cut that problem off at the head and remove it out of your life. Brother, thank you for this message. Powerful. Man, thank you, Frank. Thank you. Brother I mean, just amen. Um, thank you for helping us there. I think there's so many giants, you know, even I'm thinking about giants, um, you know, even in my own life, um, things going on and, you know, we all have them. Sometimes we don't, as you were talking about tonight, we don't always recognize them. We don't always recognize them. And the folks, that's where God is so gracious and so gentle you know, David, if the Lord revealed to me every single problem I had at once, I'd be overwhelmed. Yeah, I, can I don't think I could stand it. You know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would. But as He gives victory, then He says, "You know what? Let's let's work on something else. Let's work on something else." Amen. And he's very merciful. I often think about the grace that was shown to Adam and Eve to have known that your sin caused the whole world to fall. Can, do you, if you, I've just pondered how much grace was given that they could even walk and make it. We know how it is when we deal with just our own sin, let alone that our sin would have caused the entire downfall. And for our child to murder another child, you know, I mean, just yeah. ponder that grace. It's so deep. Yeah. Most people would have killed themselves over something like that. It's too much burden. So anyways, brother, thank you. I mean, it's just thank you so much. God bless. Thank David, you. please share. How do people keep up with what you're doing? I have a, a website, dwmurray.com, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll post things as the Lord leads and, you know, different things that are on there. But that's that's where I, I pull a lot of stuff up that uh, that's going on in my life and that, that I'd like to share. So it's dwmurray.com. Amen. Folks, this is definitely a program you're going to need to rewind and re-listen to again. There's a lot of information at once. But um, thank you for that so much. And please keep up with Brother David. Keep him in prayer, his family. 
Um, thank you for all the prayers for Remnant Call and and just God bless each one of you. This we're in this together. This is not God. The Lord did not call us to walk this path alone. Yes, there are seasons when we get alone with Him only, but God also designed us to fellowship with one another. And sometimes even though we can't be there together and see each other, we can pray for one another and in fellowship in the spirit. Um, and and then hear the, you know, and check in on each other. Uh, you know, check in on your neighbor. <laughs> Ask them how they're doing. You know, I, it might, you know, I remember one night, brother, just share the stories we close. We were out in the neighborhood walking around, not, not my neighborhood. I don't, I live way out in the middle of nowhere, but um, we were in a neighborhood in town and we were sharing, just going door to door, me, my daughter, my younger, another girl we raised, and just asking people to pray and uh, our, uh, not biological, but like our daughter, first door she went to, they just shot her down, didn't want to hear anything like that. She was just a trooper, went to the next door. The next lady she gets to, they just want to pray with them. She gets up there and the lady was so happy because you know what? She was all alone and nobody ever came to see her. That could be your neighbor, folks. You might have an entire church right in your neighborhood of people needing to know Jesus, waiting to be filled, waiting for somebody to come by and offer the love of Christ to them. Right there next door. So God bless you. Thank you so much, David. Um, folks, this is Brother Frank and Brother David on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, keep the faith, keep looking up. It won't be long. Our Lord is coming down. God bless. Good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion, sounding.